Hey everyone, Dave Broadback here. This is the uh, audio for a lecture uh, in Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It used to be called Design and Analysis 1, but we didn't think that name was scary enough. Also check out the uh, YouTube uh, videos of uh, these uh, lectures. I guess I've now just committed myself to doing the YouTube videos. Anyway, check out my YouTube channel and you can find them there. Or also at my blog, people.ac.ca slash broadback slash blog. If you like statistics, oh, you're going to love this. So, why don't we start? What with it being time to start? <clears throat> um, today, and probably next day too, no way we're getting done all these in one day. We were talking about exploratory data analysis, which is something y'all know about. It may have been called that when you learned it, but it's something that, it's basically like that, like that transition. <laughs> Pretty good, right? I'm not screwing around. Basically, we're going to talk about looking at batches of numbers and getting a feel for the numbers themselves. Right. So they say here, you're going to find out anything about a data set, you first have to understand the data themselves. Note how I'm using data as a plural. So I said data themselves, because data is plural and data is singular. Old school about that. Also, kind of a jerk. Those are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Okay. What I'm talking about here is trying to get a feel for your numbers. So, when you collect data, one of the really, and you'll find this when you guys you do your thesis, one of the things that really hits you right away is oh, oh, I got data. I better analyze it right away. And find out if I got a significant effect of whatever. It's very, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, it's compelling to you, like, oh, I have to do this. I have to look at all the stuff right now. But really, what if you make mistakes in your numbers? Right, when you recorded this? Or you have software that did it, and software makes mistakes. Software makes mistakes. Usually that's because humans made mistakes making the software, but nonetheless, you can actually get a pretty good feel of what actually happened. My PhD advisor, Sarah Shuttleworth, used to always say, statistics are there to, to prove what you already know. You've looked at the data, you've got some graphs, etc. You should go look at that and go, oh, I see what happened. And then say, okay, let's make sure this wasn't just random chance. Or it's easier to find odd values. Those odd values might be outliers. Just something that doesn't belong. Or they might be, again, coding mistakes, things like that. Right, so let's say you're collecting data on cigarettes only. Okay. Pretty much did this years ago uh, and was trying to determine the basically guess how to do actually, actually sort of accurately measure how many cigarettes someone smoked a day. By the way, self-reports of cigarettes per day by smokers is off. They tend to underestimate how much they smoke. Right? Now there are ways to do this, and there are 
they're somewhat invasive. It involves spitting into a vial. I can measure how much nicotine's in your saliva. I can measure how much cotinine, which is a stable metabolite of nicotine. Um, and I know the half-life of it. It's easy to do. I can then send all that shit to a lab. How about instead of sending it to a lab, I can give you a questionnaire. Yeah, great. And I can and I can then validate this questionnaire and I can actually and it just all be behavioral things. That'd be awesome. So my buddy Todd did this. I was able to actually do a pretty nice job of it. When you look at the data set, there's one person who reported smoking 400 cigarettes a day. I don't know about you, if you've ever smoked before, that's a lot of smoking. That's screw the Olympics go pro. That's Like 40 is two packs, basically. Let's say there's 20 in a pack, yeah, 25, whatever. Even the 25, so that's eight packs of cigarettes a day. Oh boy! First of all, you'd be uh, broke. Not so much in 1988 when Todd collected these data when cigarettes were $2 a pack. Nonetheless. Also, wouldn't think you'd have the energy to even just fill out the form. What with the cardiovascular issues? It's probably a mistake in coding. Probably. It could be the person that filled out the questionnaire, and this was done at the Ontario Science Center in Toronto, uh, which is a great place to do sort of behavioral research because people are interested in science. So they'll come up to a table and say, cigarette smoking survey, and they'll fill it out. It's a great place to like it. Um, science loves like that too. If you can get in there, it's better than like sitting in a ball with a few little questionnaires. No one wants to do that, they're shopping or whatever his people do at the mall. I don't leave my house to shop anymore. I point, I click, boom. Things arrive at people's houses already wrapped with clever little quips and cards. From Uncle Dave. My nephews don't really like the gifts I get them, but they like the clever little jokes. And screw them if they don't like the gifts. But, you look at this guy, it's like, either he's lied, which is possible, or he missed or he actually does smoke 400 cigarettes a day, and he's from a different population of people altogether, we can't use him to generalize to the average smoker. It's possible, more likely, it was a mistake, right, in coding. But when you see that, you go, okay, we probably should throw out all his data, or at least that one that. That's just an example. So, what I'm talking about here is something called exploratory data analysis, or EDA. Um, it's actually overlooked. Like I said, there's this, there's this rush to, like, I want to do inferential statistics. I must do a t-test now. There was a guy who took this program, this psych program here, five or six years ago. He was so obsessed with t-test, his name, his name, nickname in the apartment became t-test. We started calling him t-test. This is developed by John Tukey. Uh, John Tukey, by the way, you may have heard of the Tukey test, but it's a post-hoc test. No, it's, very, it's a very important statistician. A lot of inferential stuff he developed. But he also realized that you've got to look at the numbers themselves. Get a feel for them. Describe them. This allows you to generate, sorry, generate hypotheses as well as get a feel for your data. Because once you've collected data, you can say, oh, I wonder what would happen if I tried this. I know when someone does their honors thesis with me, when they have like data meetings with me, once they're collecting data, I don't want to see means. 
typically. I don't want to see T tests and F tests eventually. And you see, show me some pictures. Make some graphs. What kind of graphing software? A piece of graph paper and a pen will do just fine. I just want to see what it looks like. Just so I can look at your data and go, okay, I think this happened. We already know how we're probably going to analyze this, and you should know how you're going to analyze your data before you collect them. But you want to be able to look at something and say, okay, yeah, this should work, this should work, let's try that. Yeah, it's actually what C means. I want to see standard deviations. But at first, I want to see pictures. Right? And that's what this is. It's pictures. It's numbers that describe numbers. Really simple things. It's stuff that we spend hardly any time on, say, in intro stats. And we probably ought to spend more, but we can't do this. Shoehorn, shoehorn in all this other content, right? So you're going to get an idea if your experiment worked or not without losing any richness in your data. In other words, you're not going to lose any of the numbers. They're all still going to be there. Make sense? Any questions so far? Okay. I don't know what these numbers represent. I have no creative abilities whatsoever. Okay, let's pretend. It's uh, a small statistics class, and the test is out of 35. We got an x value. That's how much people got on how many points they got out of 35. And the frequency is how many people got those points. So one person got 10 out of 35. How about 23? That's not bad. Most people, five of them, got 25 out of 35. That's what, five-sevenths? So that's 71. That's pretty good. Two people got 30 out of 35. That's pretty good. 33 out of 35. And then we have somebody got perfect. Gee, so far, that, that looks pretty good, right? I would be, if I was teaching this class, I would not be upset by a distribution like that. By a sense, not even distribution, let's talk sometimes distribution, but he said scores like that. If I looked at it and said scores like that, I wouldn't be, well, hmm. I might be concerned about 10 out of 35. It's not very good. 28%, something like that. Maybe person missed some classes. Right? Maybe they're not actually in the class, they just came to run a test because they're weird. Maybe we're in the wrong class because this never happened to anybody. Like, especially in first year. Like, if you did it now, you just get up and leave, right? But in first year, you're only scared. You did it, so I. And they got it for you. Yeah. So embarrassing. I was in a class with this side of Western, and I walked in, and I thought I was going into my history class, and it turned out it's like a fourth year chemical engineering class. Like, I saved the whole thing. It's like stupid. 10 out of 35 is bad. That's almost to the point you say, everything you think is right, put the opposite down and do way better. Right? So we've got one, frankly, pretty shitty grade here, but the rest of them are actually pretty okay. I would be very pleased with a, a bunch of grades like that. The nice thing is, if I put my head sideways, I can almost sort of see a distribution, right? So that's reasonable. So this sort of relative frequency table like that makes things pretty easy. 
I've still got all the numbers are still there. I can get them all back. And I can oh mass on ancient side, run for your lives. I just sum the frequencies times the, the numbers. Which I this should be a obviously this should be a zero should be a in parentheses. Made these slides up ten years ago. Every year I say, you know, I'm gonna change that. Never do. Uh, we shift. We got to shift. So we can actually end up with a total. Our total score is 309. I don't know why that's useful, but it would allow us to probably calculate some stuff. Like, what a mean color. We could, instead of having that table, we could have a histogram. I'm taking the antihistograms that are really important. Uh, thank you. Joke there. Very small bit. Really hardly any joke at all. Obviously. Uh, so you can use the, the stuff from a that table to make a relative frequency histogram. You might say, Dave, how did you do that? And I will say this. I put it into, uh, this wasn't Excel, I did it with numbers in that program. And I just selected histogram. And it made one. I hadn't given it any parameters. I just used the defaults. I'm going to obsess over this writing lab slide the rest of the term. I don't know why. I was like looking to see if there are English mistakes or things like that. There used to be a sign that just said writing help, and it was a question mark, and I wrote underneath a sentence fragment. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they changed that poster. Uh, the writing lab are great, I understand me. I'm a smart ass. Uh, Okay, look at this. This is great because, and like I said, you can eventually you can screw around with parameters in Excel or Google Docs. Uh, Google Docs do almost everything Excel does now. Numbers is the one for Mac, so I just had that because I, I live in the Apple universe. I'm not even caring what these are. But I can see 30, 33, 35, yeah, okay. There's no nine, but there's there's that guy in the 10. The, 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 in fact, the x, sorry, the y-axis makes literally no sense because you can't, obviously you couldn't get halves and quarters of points. Sorry, you, there aren't halves and quarters of people. But I don't care. It's just for me to get a feel for my numbers. And as you can see, this all looks pretty good except for our, our poor friend here. Right. Who should perhaps consider a different name. I shouldn't say one task you shouldn't consider information. One paper, I did that once. I was 16 and I a normal psychology paper in third year. Well, that's it. I'm changing the history. And then I did some quick arithmetic and realized it didn't really affect my overall average, and I stayed in psychology, and you're so much the luckier for that. Or this would be a course on World War II airplanes. Which would also be fun. Um, perhaps much more fun than this. So, like I said, this isn't something you'd present in an article or a thesis or something. This is just for you. This is to look at it and go, okay, I see the shape. There's something weird going on at the far left. Everything else is fine. Make sense? 
I've lost no richness in my data. I can literally reconstruct the data set from looking at this picture. <coughs> and I told it not to use decimal points on the x or sorry, y-axis, it would be even easier. But I can reconstruct the whole data set. This is nice. Right. I can reconstruct the whole thing. So that's very useful. And these are the kind of things, like I said, when I when, when my thesis students when they show me data, I often have them just bring in stuff. I said, just tell uh, Excel to print out two histograms, one for each group, or four, or one for each group, whatever. I just want to just look at them. Let's see they're shaped the same. Let's see that they all have a one peak, right? Things like that, just so we can look at it. Okay, and then we can look at oh, those are different than those two. Then we can go play with them. When I say we, you can go play with it. It also allows you to spot oddities on a poor bugger here who got 10 to 35. Make sense so far? Right. And it's stuff I'm sure you've already keep before. And you get way caught up. Do you still get caught up on this in 2126? The real limits and the different things for categories on the, on the, y, on, on the x-axis, do you get it? not, it doesn't matter. It's one of those things that doesn't really matter at all. People can get caught up in things. Okay. So that, those are numbers. Uh, categorical data are different. Categorical data, you go get a histogram, you get a bar graph. Um, you could also use a pie chart. People like a pie chart. Some people, it tends to be people that are I don't know, like business people like projects. There's something uh, that the uh, people down at purchasing have worked out. I, it doesn't help me, but if it helps you, use them. That's all. The, this is all about you doing this for yourself. So if pie charts help you, use a pie chart. So they're basically a, a, a regular, you know, sort of bar graph, uh, histogram are roughly the same thing, except the x-axis has no real scale. So let's say in stack 2126, the last time I taught it, which was 2009, no, it's older than that. Stack 2126. It's a long time ago. And that was back when everybody took the same stats class. So sociology students took art took the stat course and CESD took it in biology and psychology and geography. They all took the same one. And then that changed for reasons that completely escaped me. I, I really have no idea why it matters, but it was a weird thing. It was fine. So here's this is actually was not unlike what we used to get back then. Because the biology program was very small back then. So it, would, it might look like that. As you can see, the x-axis doesn't mean anything. Right? It's psychology over here on the left because it's the <coughs> most awesomest. And it's an awesome to shitty. No. No, it's not. Is it, um, you know, this is the order I put it into the program I used to do it. It doesn't really matter. 
Right. People have a real problem with this um, when they look at one of the problems people have when you have a bar graph like this is they tend to interpret x axes as if they matter even if they're categories. That's a, it's actually a real issue. Because they don't. Right? They just don't matter. They're simply categories. It can be even trickier. Sometimes those categories have numbers attached to them. Like TV channels, right? TV channels have numbers, but the numbers don't mean really anything. They technically mean things about frequency. Like channel 2 on Shaw Cable, that's the new weather channel, right? And channel three is the uh, is global. And I think CBC is channel six. So that means that CBC is three times the channel that the weather channel is. And global is one better than the weather channel, but three poorer. Than, that doesn't make any sense. But the problem is it's got numbers, and people look at that little numbers. But it's science. You can't argue with it. <laughs> it's not really how the world works. Get kind of careful with that kind of stuff. It's so tempting whenever we see order of any sort. Humans are just pattern-recognizing machines. I mentioned this the other day. We love patterns. We have a whole part of our brain that recognizes faces, nothing else. That's why we see things like, hey, there's a man in the moon. Have you ever seen that face on Mars? There's no face on Mars. You're an idiot. What there is is a pattern that vaguely looks like a face, and you go, and your brain goes, big face. Right? So we see patterns and go, oh, look at that. Psychology way over there. Yeah, that actually means nothing. So if you want to do a pie chart, I don't know, there's a pie chart. I, I, they don't help me at all. But I think that's because of scientists, so we don't use pie charts. If it worked for you, I wouldn't use it in a paper because most people go, what the hell are you doing a pie chart for? Quantitative variables, of course, we use a histogram. We can also see something called central tendency. Right? The most sort of the average is one of the central tendencies. We can see the spread of something, how spread out the numbers are. Think of our quiz scores, they're pretty tightly packed, except for that one for butter at the end. We can see the shape. And in fact, central tendency and spread and shape are really the key three things we want to know about a distribution. All right. Questions so far? Describe shape like this. We can talk about a, a distribution having a skew. We can say it could, be, it could be negatively skewed, or it could be positively skewed. And everybody always says that doesn't look right. Well, you know, it doesn't matter what you think what things look like. That's negatively skewed. That's positively skewed. And if you want to remember how. Here's a helpful mnemonic. The tail tells the tale. Also, kill me because I said that. 
But actually, you'll never forget it. I will say that Cheryl Lee Elder told me that once, and I said, I hate that, but I'll never forget positively negative to you ever again. So this is this is a negative skew, even though you might think, well, why are they all over here? That's it's talking about tail. It's not talking about most of the mass of the function. Just because you don't know what words mean doesn't mean that it should all then change around you. You don't just say, well, this isn't a table anymore. I'd like to call that milk. You can't do that. Words have meanings. Well, they used to. Remember back when literally meant literally? And now when you look in the dictionary, it also means figuratively. And then it makes me want to just kill myself. It's like, well, that's it. I quit. The world's become an anti-intellectual cesspool. <laughs> i got to do something to keep this crap interesting, okay? The way I do it is I just say things like anti-intellectual cesspool. Which is also the name of my punk band. <laughs> of course. It's not our name. Um... I've never been in a punk band. I think the band, I play bass. I'm not a bass player, I can play bass. There's a difference. I'm really shitty at it. That's the difference. So, no, it's skewness. People can talk about that and nothing wrong with that. Just remember what it means. It usually means exactly opposite of what it, for somehow intuitively, <coughs> skewness talks about tail, not about the mass of the scores. We can talk about kurtosis. Kurtosis, I had a case of kurtosis once. They treated a patient. It's perfectly fine. Also, we've got ointments. Ointment. Should I say ointment? Um, something leptocritic, it means it's peaked. It's leptocritic. Platocritic means it's flat. So you would say, for example, that Dwayne Keogh is leptocritic, whereas Paul Dupuy is platocritic. <laughs> All the last joke. Okay, yeah, I got it. Oh, please don't. Yeah, <laughs> I believe I've used that before. I've used that. Good, good, good. That probably makes a really offensive blind joke. Bastard. <laughs> so. This is a, by the way, this is one of those ones that I never can remember this. I know what kurtosis is, it's just how spread out, how fat or how thin the distribution is, so how keto-like or Dupuy-like it is, but it doesn't say anything else. Like, oh, it says other things. There are actual measures of kurtosis, and there are measures of skewness, and I have no idea how to calculate them or how to interpret them. Most people don't. Most people look at these things and say, it's skewed this way, kurtosis is like this. When they say kurtosis, they say, how thin or how fat is something. Okay. Holy kurtosis, Batman, we're positively skewed. Alright. So that's ways we can describe shape. Uh, we can talk about distribution in symmetrical or asymmetrical, or, right? So, a skewed distribution is symmetrical. So that means if you cut it down the middle, it's the same on both sides, right? 
It could be unimodal or bimodal. Quimodal distributions, um, speaking of STAT 2126, the ultimate bimodal distribution course, when the course starts. You give the first quiz in STAT 2126, and I kid you not, your distribution looks like this. Literally. People frightened, people going, yeah, okay. Very often your first, uh, if you teach in, an intro level course of anything, right after you get into high school, the first test, very often, the first test you ever had right was intro psych. It was like three weeks into September. Maybe four, right? Last week of September, you're like, it's, this is with 28% of my final grade? It's 30 questions? What? And you're scared shitless. And some, and you know, some of the class are operator students who are like, yeah, whatever. You fine. Some of the class, they just get it. And then some of the class are like, I don't know what I can do. Also, some of them don't call university. They're just there. Please, mom and dad. It's their girlfriend with their best school. I guess I'll go to. Right? You get that. Bimodal distribution. Eventually, you get unimodal distribution in almost every course you teach. But some courses, very often, especially I said introductory ones, they start like that. You know, you should see anything other than unimodal or bimodal. You know, it's like trimodal. I've never seen such a distribution. It can happen. We could have a uniform distribution. Each score being equally as likely. Give me an example. When would you get a uniform distribution? Pick something. Pre-selecting people that all run like yeah, yeah, 10 yeah. seconds. Well, maybe that work, yeah. It's probably a simpler example here. Please. Do you like a goalie save percentage? Yeah, goalie save percentage is the thing is they tend to again, some are better than others. Yeah. Right? They're all anybody below nine hundred plays in the AHL or goes to Europe. That's what happens. Um, and then everybody everybody over about nine twenty is a starter, right? Uh, you could look at something like PBO in hockey, which is save percentage plus shooting percentage. It should be around 100. Yeah. Oh, you know about hockey analytics? Because that's very cool that you know that. You and I can discuss that in the rest of the class. Um, yeah, course of four, course of the games. But, so, think of something simpler. Curtis. Bingo. We're not playing bingo. I don't know what. Sorry, go ahead. No, the chance of drawing the numbers. Perfect. Nice example. Nice example. Chance of drawing each number in bingo. I have a simple one. How am I rolling a die? Because in many ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, and sixes, it's exactly the same principle as bingo. They should all be the same. Because if they aren't, in fact, someone's screwing with your bingo. Some old guy's in there waiting the balls. Right? Well, I would 
17 again. I wonder how that happened. That's the old guy who cheated. That was my impression of old cheating bingo guy. I haven't brought him out yet. First time. I'm just workshopping him at this point. So you could be uniform distribution. They're pretty rare. They tend to be in things like what flipping a coin would be uniform. Heads and tails. I like your appeal to hockey statistics, though. Um, here's an example. Oh, speaking of hockey, I picked some years of Mario Lemieux's career. Mario Lemieux is the best pure goal scorer in the history of hockey. I doubt any of you remember seeing him play very much. You might have seen the end of his career when he came back. You didn't see him in his heyday, though. It was ridiculous. So, there he is, our Olympic team in 2002. Everybody always said, he looks slow. Yeah, it's because he's six foot six. He's faster than everybody else on the ice. One stride for him is about one and a half for everybody else. Okay, here's some goal totals for totals from Mario Lemieux. In his first year, he's only 18 then, so he only scored 43 that year. 43, 48, 54. 70, 85, 45, 19. Oh, he got hurt. Got hurt. He had a bad back for his career. 44, 69 is a good year. Back again, 17. 69. 50. This is an interesting year because he took six weeks off to have cancer. That's it. Six weeks off, he had non Hodgkin's lymphoma. It took six weeks off, so one week score type. Yeah, I got a touch of cancer. I can take six weeks off. <laughs> and then eventually the back stuff caught up with him, but he quit. And he bought the team, he bought the Pittsburgh Penguins. He knows the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right? He bought them because, well, he won them and basically, and they just said, well, you owe him all this money, you have to pay him. So you can either give all the assets to the team, or he'll sue you, he's not take the team. Good. Yeah. And then, in 2000, 2001, he had retired. He's in the Hall of Fame. He retires. His number is hanging from the rafters in Pittsburgh. And he's like, he starts skating with the team. It's like he's been skating with the team. And yet, Jeremy Yager at the time was the, probably the best player in the world. They said, Yager, what's it like being the greatest goal scorer in hockey? He said, I don't know. You should ask our owner what it's like. And then, like, two weeks later, rumors started. Then, the next thing you know, oh, look who plays for the team. It was bizarre. And he didn't speak. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. He came back that year, scored 28 goals in like 35 games. He came third in the NHL score. And half a season. I don't know, he's 45, but he's only seven years younger than I am. Where's Mario Blanche? In fact, I think, yeah, we're in the same year, 65. He's only 45? Yeah, I he's only 45. Oh, yeah, he, had, he, had, he invented hockey here, right? But it was, it was an incredible thing. And then he came back and led our Olympic team to the first Olympic. And, and all I'm saying is, I don't care if you don't like hockey and cultural whatever, he was a hell of a hockey player. So it's just a beautiful thing to watch him play. Look up a goal. In fact, there's a goal you can see from 2002 in the Olympics where he's going to the net 
and it looks like he's going to take a pass, and he doesn't, and it completely confuses the American goalie. And it's just this wonderful moment. So Mario was a good hockey player. And he now still owns the Pittsburgh Penguins. We can histogram these things, but we maybe want to group the values somehow. So instead of like each individual score, so this is what I've done here. I just had to do a grouped histogram. And you might, what the, what's with 90? You never scored 90? Yeah, but it's between 85 and 95. Okay? 85 and 94, sorry. So the midpoint. Okay. One of the things, and right away, in fact, even if you didn't know anything about hockey, you can look at that and you'd say, there's something very strange about this guy because most of the time he scores at least 50, around 50 goals. Which, if you, if you do know about hockey, that's a benchmark. But even if you don't, you might say, that seems like a lot, and there's a lot on the inside. But there's a whole bunch over to the far left. Does this guy hurt a lot? Like, you'd be able to feel that right away just by looking at those numbers, right? Or did he miss a lot of games for some reason? Yeah, bad back, and also the cancer year. I had it in my hockey pool that year, and I wouldn't drop him. It's like, no, I'm going to take it. I'm look at him. I'll keep him. The problem was a buddy of mine had Scott, uh, sorry, Kevin Stevens and Mark Reckie, who were his line mates, and as soon as Mario came back, they each got two points for when Mario got. We each got a point for it. It's, uh, uh. Ooh, incredibly weird. Remember the year that 87 Canada Cup before the World Cup? And then I was at a game, Canada against Sweden, Montreal Forum, and Canada's power play comes out. Of course, Swedish goalie looks up, and it's Messier centering, centering with Lemieux um, um, and Goretzky, and on the points of Paul Coffey and Raymond Bork. And of course, Swedish goalie is like um, autographs before we start. That's not possible. Do you think? They scored in like 30 seconds. You still watch Lemieux, and he'd stand at the far end of the. I'm done with my own hockey. I don't care if you don't like it. So at the next right there, he'd be like right perpendicular. And he'd tell guys to pass the puck. It's like he was playing PlayStation, you know. And he'd, like, he'd be directing things. That puck would come in and go, play it, like that. And he's fun. It's just beautiful to watch. So, the midpoints, that's why you see the 90. He never scored 90 goals in the air. Only one person's ever done that. That was the aforementioned Mr. Gretz. Now, you have to make sure that scale makes some sense whenever you make a histogram. Especially the y-axis. Especially the y-axis. I remember this happening when I lived in Newfoundland, and um, uh, who sent it out? I think it was from the electrical company. And they wanted, most people in Newfoundland heat their homes either with wood or with oil. Okay? They don't heat, they don't use natural gas. There's no natural gas. It's just, Newfoundland just, you know, gets natural gas and sends it somewhere else. <laughs> so there's, there's no actual, no natural gas uh, pipes within the province. So, the oil company always wants to switch to oil, which is a pain you get tangy, uh, Or the electrical company wants to switch to oil. Oh, so we get this thing in the mail. 
And it's got this graph. And it says oil. And electric. And the graph looks like this. You go, oh, well, of course I'd switch to oil. Even though the switch costs a lot of money, I've got to get a furnace installed, I've got to get ductwork put in my house, and everything like that. Because look, it looks like it's like nine times higher. Except it was like. Except that was the graph. How many dollars a month it cost? <laughs> yeah, the graph's actually accurate, it's just that they're screwing you with the axis, right? But they're, they're, they're saying, oh yeah, the or we're not going to put the origin in. We'll start it at uh, 99, and the lowest will be 100. <laughs> and that's what happened. I believe also they spelled electric with that C with it, the line through it, the money. Like, it was just gorgeous. You'll see this in political campaigns all the time. All three parties, they all do it. Misuse of, of, of numbers like that is, is, is a tremendous thing that's done in political campaigns. But it's also done in advertising all the time. But I admittedly have seen people do this at conferences, and I've asked the question, can you go back to your graphs, please? Yeah, that looks like it's five times as much, but what's the origin there? And they say, and you say, why is it like that? I don't know the computer did that. Like, oh, okay. That's happened. So you've, the histogram of the group data like we had with Mario and his gold homes, we've lost richness in the data. It's probably okay with the big data set. Right? If, if we had... Excuse me. Every player in the NHL's goal totals uh, for each season over the last 20 years, you'd see this really big decline. Because that's goal scoring Because goalies are better. And coaches are better. Everybody needs to smoke. They're going to change the game. Um, but with a small data set, you probably don't want to lose the richness if you can avoid it. So you could use something like a stem and leaf plot or a stem plot, as it's sometimes called. So I made a stem and leaf plot of those numbers that we had before. You see how this works, right? 167, 17, 19, 28, 35, 43, 44, 45, 48, 50, 54, 69, 69, 70, 85. I hope those are the same numbers. If they aren't, I have miscopied them, I have miscopied them, and just pay over. Now, I hope you understand the point of what I've done, right? This is something you can have automatically done in almost any kind of stats, definitely any kind of stats program, but most of your uh, spreadsheet programs are this thing. Okay. Nice thing is, turn your head sideways, you've got a distribution. Nice thing is, you've got all the numbers there. Yes? Why aren't there like, like coffee taps in classrooms? Talk to my union. Can get that one
So this is called an ordered stem and leaf plot. You can also put them with numbers not in order. And I don't know why you would do that. But this is so you interpret it like a histogram. It's easy to spot outliers, also known as spot. Spot. This is like, it's like electric company. I just show you the same. Spot. Spot. Preserves all your data. It's all there. It's also easy to get the 50th percentile in middle number. In our case, this is going to be 44. How did I do that? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. If there's 17 numbers, there should be 8 on either side and 1 in the middle, correct? That wasn't magic, Dave, arithmetic. I'm not writing man. Really, really, eight of each side. Yeah. Walk I can make autism jokes all I want by seven o'clock. And then make it to him. And he's in the plane crash, so he can tell me when the want to scratch. I seem so callous and horrible, though. Now and then I'll look at him. He doesn't look so much anymore because he's not he's not little he knows I'll figure it out. But sometimes like if he doesn't like something, I don't sort of look at you and go, look at him and say, don't you pull that autism shit out of me. <laughs> and he goes, Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got me. <laughs> you got me, okay, you're right. Yeah, I was uh, kind of screwing around there, sort of bad. <laughs> yeah, there are times when it's perfect. It's just like with my vision. When I'm at a big airport going through security, excuse me, I'm, I'm blind. Can you help me? Oh, you want to go through the special quick thing for disabled people? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> or when John's Xbox broke a few years ago, sent it in for uh, repair. I emailed to, there's actually a web, uh, an email address that Microsoft has. Uh, I think it's called advocate at Microsoft.com. I emailed that and I said, my son has autism and we interact over Xbox Live a lot. Got it back the next day. <laughs> oh yeah. My dad once got us better seats at a Montreal Expos game because I was blind. Son can't see the ball move down there. <laughs> he was almost blind, eh? <laughs> Look, he's got him some advantage. <laughs> I'm disabled. This one, a couple years last year, I came back after my sabbatical, so no one knew me. No one knew me. And I was, I was going to hand back some assignments, and I hadn't gotten done. You know me, I get things back very quickly. I hadn't gotten back the next day, and someone said, You ever test market? I said, No, I don't. My son has autism, I'm blind. <laughs> and I'm looking at it. That's really not an excuse. They just did that for fun. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm such a jerk. Um, but you see how I did that? It's like it's the middle. Eight and eight and the one in the middle. Let's go eight. <coughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, 44. It's the one in the middle. It's the 50th percentile. Right? Make sense? Okay. Oh, those all came up at once. Okay. Uh, so... 
the, the, the median, or the 50th percentile, is part of what's called the five number summary. This is a way to summarize some stuff about some data. You got the median, you got the first quartile, which is the 25th percentile, which is the median of the first half. Okay? You get the third quartile, which is the median of the second half. Now, how did I get 0.5? Well, I've got nine numbers in each, right? Then we go in the middle. And then you get the minimum of the max. things in an article, you never talk about them in a talk, you'd never, that's it's not what this stuff is for. What it's for is so you can understand your own numbers. That's what this is for. Well, they've uh, announced our Olympic team today. There's an Olympic team today for hockey. Should be fun, no NHLers. That used to be. Always did okay. One. Still. Okay. You said, yes, there's five, the minimum and the maximum. So in our case, the minimum is one, maximum is 85. Between those two, you can get what's called the range. This is the lamest of all measures of spread, is the range. Because you can call 84, 85 minus 1, you can say it's 1 to 85. Right? You like our example with those quiz grades, 10 to 35 or 25. It's all it's, it's, it's the least precise of all possible spread out measures. Okay? The least precise of all of them. Yeah, stop trying to. There's much more here. No, I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. I imagine you're paying attention. I'm going to guess that that's what you're doing. And if you're not, I'm not going to care. Okay. I can. All right. We'll okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> so the five-number summary allows you to do something else. You can make a box and whisker plot. Whisker. Cool flip. So great, my son's got into family back recently because he watches videos at all hours of the evening and the day and everything. Sometimes I'll wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'll hear from his room just watching Family Guy. It's like, well, at least I was woken up by something that didn't make me angry. Because his taste in music leaves a lot to be desired. I applaud the fact that he just listens to everything. But most music's shitty. I mean, of all genres, of all eras, right? Of course, he's like, yeah, this is great. Katy Perry. <laughs> he actually, at 16, has come to a realization that it comes to most people when they're 35. Who cares if you don't like what my music is? I like it. Screw you. It's still like Katy Perry. 
So box plots are great because they give you an idea of the shape of the data. Hey, look, here's one now. How did I do this? I don't know. Think I drew it. Think I drew it. But I did it with the five number summary. Minimum, there's the one. Maximum, first quartile, third quartile, median. I think I googled how to do it with Excel, which took about 300 steps. It was really hard. Like, there wasn't a way to do it easily with Excel. And maybe now, the newer version, I did this a few years ago, so I think it's a newer version. There's also, um, but if he's like SPSS or something, it's pretty good. In SPSS, there's a um, section, like I said, uh, some new data. Just play with SPSS, don't people have to play with it. Put some data in. And then you go to uh, analyze, and then descriptive, and then you can just choose. I don't want to see the sure. Just goes around with. So you can see here, this has got some value. You would never present this in paper. I've maybe seen it once in a talk, a bunch of box plots. The that was once. Right. But this is telling us something about. Look at this. This, this. this here tells us that there are more scores bunched together here than there are here, right? So up here between the median and the third quartile, between the second quartile and the median. Okay. There's a couple of ways to do the whiskers. One of them is to take this, this here between the third and Second, sorry, third and first quartile. It's called the interquartile distance, or the IQD. Um, one of the ways to do it is do one and a half IQDs from the median. So you go like that much, and that's obviously not what I did. Right? It actually works here, but not there. But you can do that. That's another approach. There's really a lot of people say, oh, this is how you do it. There's only one way to do it. Not really. These are just for you, Eric, to allow you to get a feel for it. The idea of an IQD is always the same. It's Q3 minus Q2, or so minus Q1. <coughs> but it's not like there's a rule. Books will say, do it like this. Books will say, do it like that. You'll find different books say different things. This kind of thing is really just so you can get a feel for your numbers. All right, questions so far? I know this was just completely boring. Let's admit about hockey. I don't care, I like hockey. You're going to learn to love hockey. You don't like it. It's better. Same. Maybe bonus questions about hockey. Who's not going to agree? Okay, I just have to find them. Um, okay, so um, the slide Mario could sort of play. Yeah. Okay, so like it says labels are midpoints, the limits are 514, 85, 94, real yeah. limits are, I just, I don't know what Oh, means. oh, the limits are just, the midpoints of that graph are telling you um, like where the middle is, and it's like 84 and a half to 94 and a half, I think it says something like that. That's what the real limits are, so between 85 goals and 95 goals, that's all okay. that means. Or right, four goals. So, so are there multiple limits, and why is there five? Because, you know, because each between yeah, there are different between each category. There are because there's multiple limits. That's right. Okay. Yep. Yep. 
And you do that? I'm still not my last day. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, can you just the R2D the fourth quartile? Inner quartile distance? Yeah. Third quartile is first quartile. Yep. Interquartile distance or range. This is another word you'll see. Interquartile range as well. These are both fine. These are both fine. These are both fine. Okay. What's that? You okay? You guys are fine? Yeah. Okay. We're talking about like PDO and slip percentage and stuff like that? Do you actually know about those things? Not many people know about hockey analytics. It's a weird thing to know about. Not in depth. Well, I just watched that quite a bit. I'm older than you, it's all this. You know, the last time we sent a, a, a team of one NHLers, a person in our program, her father was on our Olympic team. Taylor Felix's dad was on our Olympic team. Yeah, in 1994. And they went silver medal. Not gold, but he's yeah. got way more Olympic medals than I do. Infinitely more. How do you even throw that away? I don't know. Yeah, what, you put it on eBay? Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy it. Okay. So, central tendency, a little bit we talked about. It's one of three properties really necessary to describe your distribution. We got the shape, uh, ketosis, and all that stuff. So let's talk about. So consider the following. I don't know why I said it like that. It felt like a thing to do. Here are some numbers 159, 20, 30. Those are numbers. Oh, yes, they are. Here's some more numbers 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Oh, yeah, I know numbers. PhD. They both have the same mean. For those of you who don't remember how to calculate a mean, well, leave the room. Uh, not a kid, of course. Half kid. Um, right? Sum of all the scores divided by the number of scores. So the x is over n. 25 to 6 and 9 is 15. 20, 35. 25 divided by 5. No, oh, yeah, that's good. 65 divided by 5, 13. Yay. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, minus 13. So those, those two batches of numbers have exactly the same mean. One's more spread out than the other. Yeah. The top one here is much more spread out than the other. But they both have the same mean. So these two batches of numbers, one could say they are the same yet different. One could say that if one was a twit. Um, so there's our two batches of numbers again. So same mean, and they're both symmetrical, by the way. So if we were going to say, are they symmetrical? Yeah, they are. They have as much on one side as the other. Both of those, these things are both true, right? That's nice. How are they different? Well, how are they different? Tell me, how are they different? We just talked about that. One's more spread out than the other one, right? 
totally. Okay. So we want a way to measure spread outness. So we need a way to measure spread evidence. How would we measure that? Well, the range is a start. It's a lame start, but it's a start. And in fact, you can see the one has a bigger range than the other. That's helpful, I guess, to a helpful. 1 to 30 versus 11 to 15. Or if you prefer, 29 versus 4. We can do that. We can correct. A little more granular, right? Yeah. A little more granular. A little more fine. It's pretty crude, this. It's, it works. It tells us something. One of our spread that doesn't tell us a whole lot more. We could look at interquartile distances or something like that. We've only got five numbers now. It seems kind of silly to do that. We could do it. And interquartile distance, in fact, interquartile range is a measure of spread, and it could work here. It's a little more fine grained than range. It's true. It's still pretty crude, though. It's not going to get us very far. It's not going to get us very far. Something better. Something that is kind of like a mean. Because with a mean of a bunch of numbers, we all know what that means. We all can say, okay, the arithmetic average or whatever, we've got to calculate it pretty simple. We need like the average amount the data themselves are spread out. That's what we need. Well, let's do that. Let's get the average amount the data are spread out from the mean. How far, on average, each number is from the mean. So I'm going to quickly throw this up here. Don't worry about this too much, but I'm just going to sum the scores minus the mean. <coughs> so 1 minus 13, 5 minus 13, 9 minus 13, 20 minus 13, 30 minus 13, all divided by 5. Let's see, negative 12 plus negative 8 plus negative 4 plus 7 plus 17 is 0. But well, we know it's not, not spread out at all, so the zero is not going to be very useful. This doesn't work. It can't work. And if you think about what the mean is, of course it can't work. The mean is like a balancing point. It's always going to give you as much on one side as it gives on the other, and they're going to cancel. If you, did, if you ever calculate this and you get anything other than zero, You've made a mistake. It is literally impossible for this not to be zero with any batch of numbers. It's a property of the universe. Things just work that way. It can't not work that Right? So that's going to get us nowhere. That's always the intuitive thing. I know, in fact, when, I, when I've taught Stat 2126, I've often asked students, what would you do in this situation? They say, well, why don't we just subtract the difference, we get the difference rather than the mean, and add them all up. It's like, yeah, that makes sense, let's do it. You always get zero. 
So it must always sum to zero. And again, as I said, it makes sense when you think about this. It can't not sum to zero. It's impossible. Right? Should be, as I said, as much on one side as there is on the other. The mean is a balancing point. How do you get rid of negatives? Well, the easiest way to get rid of negatives is to take the absolute value. Right? You remember when you were taught absolute value in grade whatever it was? Eight or nine or six or ten, I don't know if you said anymore. And you were said you were told, you said to yourself, I'm never literally ever going to use this. Ha! You're using it right now. So for your math teacher in grade whatever it was that when you thought to yourself, I'm never going to use this, I say to you from that math teacher, ha! We get a quantity called the mean absolute deviation. All I've done is taken the, it gets through the negatives. It's all done. 12, 8, 4, 7, 17, and 5, 4, 7. Hey, look at that. That's a number. It's a non-zero number. Yay! And I bet if we did it for the other ones, I'm not going to, well, I could. Wait a second. The other one's, that's easy. The other one's, what, 12, 13, 14, 15. 2 and 1 is 3. 3 and 3 is 6. 6 divided by 5. The other one is 1.2. Oh, look, the more spread out one has a bigger number than the less spread out one. Oh. What did you do differently? Well, I just did study. What, for this? Yeah. Took the absolute values. No negatives. Oh, There's no negatives. Yeah, yeah, no negatives. And for the other one, it's 1.2. If you. That was easy enough to write the debt on my head. Right? It's pretty simple. The one that was more spread out, the other one was more spread out, had a bigger number, the one that's less spread out, sound great. It almost makes you feel like we got somewhere. And this even has a name, the mean absolute deviation. And it's not useful at all. The mean absolute deviation just isn't useful for our purposes. It actually is a real quantity, and it is used sometimes in what are called non-parametric statistics. We're not going to use a lot of them. There are cases where it, it, it is a measure of spread, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it is a statistical dead end. It is a statistical dead end, unfortunately. And I'm sure you went over this kind of thing in intro stats, right? That we can do it this way, it's intuitive, and it's beautiful, and it's pleasing, and it's useless. <coughs> so it's, it's, it's a dead end. It doesn't really get us anywhere. We need something that we can relate to all the other statistical techniques we're going to talk, we're going to talk about in this class. Okay. It has real intuitive appeal, it's real shape. All right, any questions on this stuff? I think that's enough for our first day, right? Thanks, guys.
listening to the lecture um all of the audio is available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for da- uh, dr dave broadbeck's uh, psychology lectures in algoma university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a sh- uh, um, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to match them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music; they're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>